0: My name is Helen, and I've been coming to St Stephen's for about ten months now. Um, and I'm bringing you today's second Bible reading, which is from 1 Timothy chapter three, verses one to seven. It can be found in your pew Bibles on pages page one thousand two hundred and forty-four. Here is a trustworthy saying: If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, uh, Helen, for reading God's word to us this evening so uh, we're going to look at this very important topic tonight on uh, the topic of the leadership in the church and what it means for us in the presbyterian church uh, for the aspect of elders in our church so uh, as we begin let's come to our lord in prayer let's pray heavenly father we thank you lord for your word we thank you that this evening we can come together and Uh, sit under the teaching of your word. We thank you that you are our God. Uh, We trust in you, our shield and our defender. We pray, O Lord, for the working of your spirit in our midst tonight, that you would help us to understand this word and apply it in our hearts and lives and uh, lead us to uh, the right men who would take on this office of eldership in this church that belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, like I said, Tonight, we're going to look at at this topic of eldership or maybe leadership. Well, what is it about leadership? Is our world lacking leadership today? Is our country lacking leadership? We are very much aware these last few weeks of the ongoing citizenship saga in our federal parliament, aren't we? And at a time like this, when MPs are in Parliament, when they should not be there. And when a time like this, when we need decisive leadership in Australia, we wonder what's going on at our federal level in government. Whatever kind of leadership, be it in the family, institution, organization or church, whichever leadership position one might be, is usually what ends up in that institution, organization, family or church, for no organization rises above its leadership. What about leadership in the workplace, for example? If there's no leadership in the workplace, you'll have problems there, won't you? So leadership is vitally important, be it in whatever sphere of life we might be in. And leadership is also vitally important in the life of the church. And thankfully, friends, God has given us a blueprint of the standards that he expects from those who lead in the church, and in particular, the elders. And as we know, our church is in the process of looking and electing new elders. What should we be praying for and looking for in the men that we want to take on the position of eldership? What does God's word tell us about elders? And so today, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to that passage, which will be our text. And also, I will refer to Acts chapter 20. So we've got two passages uh, that uh, I would be referring to as well uh, tonight. Well, you might say to me tonight, Chris, eldership, this sermon is irrelevant for me. What am I going to do with a topic like eldership? Maybe I should just face off. I'm going to use my phone and I'm going to surf the net while you're speaking. I'm going to think about what I'm going to do the next week. I'm going to think of what I'm going to eat tonight, where I'm going out tonight, whatever thing. Well, let me give you four good reasons why you should not tune out tonight. One, that will be so discouraging for me. No, no, four things, all right? One, whilst what we are going to look at today has particular reference to elders there are general principles that apply to all of us as christians so this is god's word and there are principles that we can learn uh, from this word tonight and if you're going to be part of the process of electing new elders then you need to know what is god's requirement and standard for elders is very important third There may be men here who may want to prayerfully consider the role of an elder. And fourthly, God takes the matter of church leadership seriously, and so should we. So don't tune out tonight, because this message is relevant for all of us this evening. And so let me come back to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was fully aware of the need for leaders in the church, and in particular, of elders and paul had given himself fully and completely for three entire years to ministry at a place called ephesus he describes his ministry in acts chapter 20 a passage that we read uh, tonight our first reading now i don't plan to go through the entire description of his ministry in ephesus tonight i will select a portion of it uh, for this evening so please uh, keep your bible open, like i said to acts 20 as well and the introduction to this section is found in acts 20 verse 17 which says this now from Miletus is sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Notice friends in Acts chapter 20 verse 17, the word elders is plural and the word church is singular at the church at Ephesus. And so this is important for us to recognize as well. The word elders is in the plural here. And so for us here at St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church or the Presbyterian Church of Australia, uh, we might ask ourselves, or you might have been asked, well, where are you going? You might say, I'm going to St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church. And someone might ask, what, Presbyterian? What, what's the, what an alien name is Presbyterian? What kind of church is that? Right. Well, let me say this, friends. The word pres- the Presbyterian church comes, the, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word, which is presbyteros, which means essentially an elder. And so we are a church with elders. We are a church that is governed by elders. And that is why we are called a Presbyterian church. And in this model, individual congregations submit themselves to a plurality of elders. And this plurality of elders is what sets us apart as a Presbyterian church. And the plurality of elders provides accountability, support, and encouragement in the life of the church, as well as wisdom in collective decisions that we would make for the well-being of the body of christ is church so in our church government we believe that the church is to be governed not by members of the congregation we are not a congregational church in that respect where congregationalism might be something like this where a congregation decides for example well the minister is really not doing his job We'll come after three months or so, have a meeting, and say, well, uh, John, Chris, you're gone today because we've decided as a congregation we don't want you guys. How would that be? You might say, well, maybe we should be a congregational church. Um, We're not a congregational church where decisions are made like that, but we are a church that's governed by elders. And so, nor is a church governed by a singular bishop. Instead, we are ruled by Christ, through the plurality of the leadership of elders, and in our church system, an elder is uh, once he's nominated or elected, uh, is ordained into the office and uh, is ordained to the office for life, so they can be uh, serving as long as God gives them the grace to do so unless they choose to resign. Now, some other churches I know the eldership is in circulation after three years I think uh, I know the Reform church, it's after four years they, they leave, and then they can probably come back if they are elected. In our system, uh, you're elected there, and you can stay there for a number of years, okay? Uh, so in, in the PCB code, uh, we read this about uh, uh, the, uh, the eldership, for example. That's the code that, uh, that governs our church government. Uh, subject to, civil, uh, to the relevant civil law, and to, the ch- and to the law of the church, and the jurisdiction and lawful directions of its higher courts, a session as jurisdiction and powers of government, discipline and oversight, extending to every aspect of the life of any congregation of the charge. If a situation arises which is not covered by the civil law, the law of the church, the jurisdiction and direction of its higher courts, all these rules, a session may act as it considers best to protect or promote the welfare of the church or of its congregation or congregations. And so, friends, we see that the elders are given the responsibility to govern the affairs of the church and the oversight of the church. And this oversight would mean pastoral care of the church. And so, the Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So it's a very vital, important statement to recognize for elders that their responsibility is to take care of the flock. We are called the flock. We are called the sheep, aren't we? We belong to God, who is our great and wonderful shepherd in Christ Jesus. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so the elders have a responsibility to take pastoral care of God's people. And remember this, that uh, the the text is very clear here, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And this church of God is, as I think John said, uh, we we meet here. We don't meet here as a social club, even though we have social interactions with one another. We uh, we, We meet here primarily because of who God is. We meet here because God has bought his church with the price of his son, Jesus Christ, with his blood. And so when a person uh, becomes a member of the Presbyterian church, there is one question that we put to the person, which is this, in fact, this morning, uh, we asked these two ladies who became members this question, Uh, do you promise to submit to the authority of the session as they exercise pastoral oversight of the congregation? Did you promise to submit to that so it is a submission uh, it is it is a promise to submit to the pastoral oversight by session which authority god has vested for the good of his church now in acts chapter 20 17 to 21 we have a statement a summary sentence given by the apostle paul of his ministry in ephesus have a look with me please in Acts 20 17 to 21, now from my leaders he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you for the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teachable to you in public and from house to house testifying both the jews and to the greeks of repentance towards god and of faith in our lord jesus christ so here paul gives his summation statement of his ministry it shows his humility and yet it also shows his boldness and so paul having described his ministry now goes on to say in acts chapter 20 26 and 27 he says this therefore i testify to you this day that i'm innocent of the blood of all that is, Paul has discharged his pastoral ministry before the Lord, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. And so, friends, we come then to Acts twenty twenty-eight to 30, where Paul says this to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for. And he says this in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, that is the elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, that is false leaders. So friends, to protect the church is to protect them from fierce wolves. What do you think about wolves coming into a church? You see, friends, Satan attacks the church in multiple ways, does he not? From the outside with persecution. From the inside of the fellowship, usually with grumbling, complaining, and among the leadership by apostasy. Remember this, that leadership works. Good leadership produces good results. Bad leadership produces bad results. And so Satan knows if he can get the leadership off track with false teachers and false shepherds among them, then he will undermine the work of the gospel. And as Paul says here, savage wolves, fierce wolves, will come in. What a description. What are these wolves? They're false teachers. There are some who seek to add rules to the gospel, some seek to seek to subtract Christ's lordship from the believer. We have wolves today in sheep's clothing in the church. Those who are leading the church. Pastors, ministers who are up front, who do not accept the authority of God's word. You've heard that. People who have different views on the person of Jesus Christ. People who would deny that Jesus is the son of God. People who would deny the virgin birth of Jesus. People who would deny the fact of human sexuality, that it can be so fluid and the Bible is irrelevant in the matter of human sexuality, and they are church leaders. Have you not heard some of them speak? And how sad that is. Ministers, so-called ministers of the gospel, who would stand up and deny the very authority of the word of God. They are false they are wolves' friends in sheep's clothing, and that is why in our system of church government, and there's a senior minister, uh, as it happens here. The senior minister is responsible for the preaching ministry of this church. He's responsible for whoever comes and preaches here. It's not, just the, it's not the session's responsibility. It's the senior minister's responsibility in our church government so that the minister is ultimately responsible for the integrity of the preaching of the Word of God from our pulpits. And so, friends, here at St. Stephen's, we place a high priority on the Scriptures. We place a high priority on the authority of the Word of God, that this Word, this Word of God is given for our good. It is given by the inspiration of God. It is given to speak to us. It is God's special revelation in the Word of God that speaks to our hearts. And in the Word of God, We see our sin. In the Word of God, we see the need for the Savior. In the Word of God, we learn about Jesus. In the Word of God, we learn about what it means to live our lives under God. And so the Scriptures become a primary place of importance. And this is why it's extremely important to watch who we put into the positions of leadership. Because one wolf in a sheep pen can ravage the entire flock. Do you think so? Just one. Okay? And so pastors and elders, it is our job to protect the flock from wolves and from false teachers. And Paul knew this very well. He was a leader there. And you know what happened, friends? Sadly, uh, after a long imprisonment and so forth, the church at Ephesus began to disintegrate. And the apostle Paul, who was a church planter, knew what was going on in the church at Ephesus. And so he began to focus on the ministry at the church of Ephesus after his imprisonment in Rome for a long time, he wrote a handbook, and he gave it to his best disciple to go back and to revitalize the church at Ephesus. And this disciple's name was Timothy. He gave another letter to a guy by the name of, anyone here? The other one, Pastor Epistle, Titus, right? said, Titus, Timothy, take this, go and see that you appoint the right leaders in your church because it is so important. And so Paul has given us, And God has given us a blueprint on the kind of elders that he wants to exercise leadership in his church because the church is precious to him. And so Paul uh, gives this whole list here, does he not? There's an outline for you in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 7. It speaks about the office, speaks about the character, speaks about the competency of those who are leading, speaks about the reputation. Let's see this office here. The saint is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 3, one. The saint is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He begins by saying that this is a trustworthy saint. This is a dependable saint. This is an important saint. There are five such trustworthy saints in Timothy and in Titus. And the word aspire means to stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something, to reach after, to desire something. And so this word overseer, for example, is the word episkopos. We get the episcopal, episcopalian system of, of government, for example, is used interchangeably. It means an elder. And so the overseer or the elder is aspiring to... A noble task and so some people misinterpret this and say that the aspiring is noble that's not what it is friends the aspiring is not what is noble but it is the job that is noble that is what we are called to do and when we aspire we're aspiring to something that is noble and it is noble because it is the work of the Lord in his church it is a noble task And it must be something like this. God, please allow me not only to be effective, but to never bring dishonor to the office that you have established in your church. Help me not to bring dishonor to the office. You see, there are many things that may be lawful for me to do. But for the sake of the office, it is not expedient that i should do it i need to be able to think my way through to honor the nobility of this office as an elder he aspires to the office it's not that the office uh, that aspires to the man the man seeks the office do you see how wise the bible is on this matter if the office is seeking the man then that may contribute to a man's pride where he might be tempted to think look they have to have me What a great guy I am. (laughs) Without me, man, that church is not going to survive. They need me big time, man. Without me, they are gone. I am so gifted. Just have a look at me. They need to have me as an elder. No, no. Notice that this is a noble task. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It is a desire. It is a wanting. This must be the desire. This must be the longing. This should be the attitude of the heart before the Lord. He desires an honorable work, a praiseworthy work. It is a task. It is is a job. It is not a status. Now, for example, when we apply for jobs, we would count the cost, right? But generally speaking, like, what would this job mean? Or what, would, what would it mean for my time? Uh, how much am I expected to give in this job? Uh, what are my time constraints in this work? Well, how much am I going to get paid for this job? No, elders don't get paid here except for preaching elders, right? A job requires commitment. And as an elder, as one aspiring to be one, to, uh, to be an elder, this question must be paramount in a person's mind and to all elders, in fact. The question must be, can I give time for this job that the Lord has laid on my heart? Because if I can't, then I need to consider my position. Serving Christ and his church is a wonderful privilege. It is something that... Um, it's beyond me uh, one to be a christian is a great greatest honor i i believe that with all my heart i mean that there is no greater blessing than that right agreed okay you're not tuned out right that's the greatest blessing but i tell you the great another great blessing is serving christ whatever capacity that might be because you know friends god has given us one life to live right has given us a privilege and honor of serving him. And every day, every day is a bonus. We cannot take life for granted. And for me, I'm sure for John as well, and for our elders, I count it personally for myself every day, an honor and a privilege to serve God and you as his people. It's a great honor. So this work is a noble work. right. It's an honor to serve the shepherd king and his people. What about the elder's character? Look at 2A two, two a and 3. I'll come back to 2B later. Okay, two, um, look at 2A and, and 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Wow, what a list, eh? What a list. Now, you might say, oh, that's for the elder. Nothing to do with me. Well, friends, as I said, there are things that we can learn in this passage as well, all right? The overseer in particular, the elder, must be above reproach. Now, what does that above reproach actually mean? You see the word that is used here, above reproach, in the original text, in the original Greek, means a blameless life. It doesn't mean a sinless life. If it was a sinless life, do you think I'll be standing here? Do you think John will be? John probably will be No, right? None of us won't be. We can't. None of us are sinless. Only Christ is sinless. The issue here is blameless. right? It's a blameless life. That is, that he should not have anything in his life that could apportion blame to him. Currently in his life. Above reproach. Why? Because God expects his leaders in his church. That is God's standard. It's not my standard. It is God's standard for his church. Because God's steward or manager over God's flock or household has to be above reproach. He has to be conscientious in his conduct by not discrediting Christ or the gospel. And when we, what we see here, I believe, is a person's character. It means that before the church family that this person has exhibited progress in his faith as a Christian, and his character displays the necessary requirements for the task. In this regard, his life is blameless. He is not perfect and sinless, then he stands blameless. He has set things right with the Lord, and so the list begins here. He is to be a husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. His marriage... Now, does it mean that he has to have a wife? Does it mean a single man cannot become an elder? What if you decided that you're not going to be married? Does it mean you can't be an elder? What do you think? All these young guys who are not married here, man, you can't aspire to this job. No, 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 that's not what the text is saying here, right? Okay, he's talking to a married man here. Right? The point here is if you are a married man, married guys here, blokes, remember this. You're not to be a ladies' man, all right? Those days are gone now. You're married, okay? He's not to be a womanizer. There are no other women in his life. I spoke about this this morning, and one of the blokes said to me, Chris, one wife is more than enough, mate. <laughs> right. One woman in my life is more than enough. I don't need more. The point here is this. It's a very serious thing. He has to be faithful to his wife, and this must be evident in his marriage. And I think looking at it and reading further on this topic, I think there's there's a further application here, and that is about his sexual behavior, that there should be no hint of sexual immorality in this man's life as a married man. He holds on to his wife, the wife of his youth, and let him enjoy the wife of his youth. I am reading the book of Proverbs, for my personal devotions. I'll tell you what, guys, if you I say to young people as well, read the book of Proverbs, a chapter a day, it will be great medicine to the soul. There's <laughs> so much to learn, and talks about the adulterous woman and its implications. Don't even go there as a married guy. How is his marriage going? How is his relationship with his wife? There are the issues. If he's a married man, then let him love his wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5, let we enjoy his wife. He is to be sober-minded, that is, he is to be temperate. Such a person is well-balanced, reasonable, and discernible in his approach to life. He is to be self-controlled. He's of a sound mind and sensible in his judgments. He's a person who will act responsibly when when challenges come. He's clear-headed. He does not overreact and get frustrated and all flustered. Have you ever had a boss who gets all flustered and overreacted, overreacts? How do you find working for someone like that? It's hard, isn't it? If he's not self-controlled in the church, imagine the chaos that that could take place in the life of a church. He's respectable. He's orderly and well-behaved. He's hospitable. He opens his generous to the guest's love of strangers. He, he, he practices hospitality. He should be willing to open his home and invite people along. Christians, and in particular elders, must pursue hospitality as part of their lives. And as Christians, are we not called to be hospitable? What do you think? What does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? Be hospitable. What does that mean? Opening up your home. Let me tell you a story very quickly. So I came to study in Geelong. When I came to Australia, I got a scholarship to come here and study. I left Sri Lanka, I left all my friends, family behind. I came and I went to a place called, you know, Geelong, right? And my house, my my room was in the basement. I went in January. Uh, All the guys had gone, disappeared to their homes. Uh, I think it was one guy in the house, such a big house, I was down in the basement. Uh, I could see just the other person's garden just at my window level. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing here? I called my family and said to my parents, because I'm the only child, I said, uh, mom and dad, I think I am just, just made a mistake. I want to come back. So what I did was I took all the photos I brought from Sri Lanka. I didn't have uh, all these phones and all these things on my system at the time. I plastered the photos on my wall. My bed was facing that wall. I looked at all those photos and I took some kind of comfort from there. But then the church, the Reformed Church in Packington, we have the Galaxia. Michael's father, um, Corey's husband, was minister there. And they, some of the members there, opened up their home and showed me hospitality. And I tell you what, the Sundays were not very long days for me. Because they opened up their home, and boy, oh boy, I just had soups and food and stuff that I'd never eaten before, you know. Lamb and stuff like that, you know. And I enjoyed it. And one day on, on Easter Sunday, I had a knock on my door in my basement room, and there's this lovely couple, Irish couple from the church. I can't even remember their names. You, you know them, right? And they're standing there with a massive Easter egg, this, kind of this size. I've never seen an egg like that in all my life. I said, dear Chris, that's for you. I enjoyed that, I must say. Hospitality. And I often remember this as a student, as a single guy, no one around me. It was hard going, it was tough. And I understand some of the students who come from overseas by yourselves. It's hard going and hospitality, you know, help me get along. Help me to this place. Come to this place. God used people like that. And an elder should be hospitable, opening up our homes. Let's work our way through quickly. Not a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, Not a lover. of Verse 3, okay? He's not a drunkard. That is, he's not a wine babbler. He doesn't uh, uh, hang around the bottle all the time, right? Uh, he's not a guy who's going and drinking from one place to the other. And his house uh, is, uh, is a place where he gets drunk or intoxicated it's not saying let me say very clearly here it's not saying that you can't have a drink right it's a drunkenness that's the issue here but i don't want to be legalistic here right uh, the point is if you drink and become drunk you cannot be a drunkard intoxicated one if you're driving you'll be in big trouble you'll be um, you lose the license for the first instance if you're caught but you other people's lives in danger but intoxication is not a place for an elder imagine being intoxicated and coming to church on a sunday eh How would that be? You can't even walk straight. He's not violent. The actual word here is he's not a striker. He's not a person who's ready with his fists. Is gentle. The elder must be gentle. I mean, this is so important, friends. This does not mean he's weak. He's not a pushover. He must be gentle. This was the way of our Savior Jesus Christ. The way Jesus dealt with people. He was strong but gentle. He was humble in heart, was he not, Jesus? And the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. There are times, friends, if you're in the position of leadership, while you're not a pushover, there are times you have to forsake your own rights for the good Of the gospel and for the health of the church. Imagine if John and myself are always uh, not gentle and argumentative with you. Each time you come up with a problem, we can get back man all the time. Imagine what that would do. Imagine in your own life and situation if you're not gentle. What would your life be like? How would you be reminded, uh, be, be remembered as a person? Always causing problems I would be somebody who is gentle and meek like Christ is. He's not quarrelsome, divisive, unnecessarily critical, and somewhat an abusive person, bitter in his speech, wanting to tell everybody else things, Proverbs tells us this, Proverbs 26, 21 As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire So is a quarrelsome man for kindling fire It only takes one person, friends In the workplace, in the home, wherever it is A cantankerous and divisive person to cause chaos And in the church, it can cause big chaos And churches get divided Ministers leave You know that And it's all over. He's not a lover of money. Now, you might say, well, so we don't work anymore. Forget about that work seminar on Wednesday night, because we don't need money, right? That's not what it's saying here. We all need money, okay? We need money to live. We need money to buy our clothes. We need money to whatever, right? But the point here is he's not a lover of money. He has no time he's he's not going after money money has not become his god because he can't serve because every time he wants to serve he's thinking about his money making his overtime he's tired because he's working and money and money and money and he has no time to give anything for the church no time no time for the lord what about for our own lives as well now let's see his competency Uh, have a look here please in verse uh, 2b and 4 two competencies here he must manage his household have a look there in verse verse 4 he must manage his household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive now that's a challenge right (laughs) our parents here with young teens and all that oh man if you're an elder you've got your kids well in control no (laughs) all right he's not saying that his home is a perfect home he's not saying that his kids are super perfect, even though ministers' eldest kids should be super perfect. No, he's not saying that his wife is perfect either. His kids are not robots. All right, he's a normal, average guy who goes through the challenges of family life. He must understand family life. Everyone who is in a family knows family life can be challenging, right? And if you're a parent, you'll agree with me that there are times that it's very challenging as well. He's a normal guy. He goes through life with ups and downs. He's a guy who perhaps tells lame dad jokes to his kids. Jokes that they never laugh at. That's the most terrible thing. I say lots of jokes to my kids and they never laugh at them. It's just ridiculous. I say jokes to you sometimes and you don't laugh at that either. So. Anyway, that's all. Yeah. He He's a guy who, who loves his family. He's a guy who loves his, if he's got kids, he loves his kids. He's a guy who enjoys spending time with his family. He's a guy who has fun with his kids. It's a place where there is laughter in his home. It's not a somber, uh, dead place in the home where there's no laughter or anything else. You come to my, uh, uh, my house anyway, it's uh, just laughter and we crack, I crack jokes and, you know. Uh, the point is that laughter is something that God has given to us, right? And this guy understands that. It's not in the text here about laughter, by the way, so. But he's exercising spiritual oversight in his home. He's having leadership in his home. His children are willing to listen to him. Now, there's lots of debate and discussion what kind of age are the kids going to be here. And after 18, do we have control over them? But if they're in your house, then you have a responsibility, right? Okay? So he, he can... And, and the reason here is, if he cannot look after his own family, then how could he manage the household of God? And then the second competency is that he must be able to also teach. Able to teach. That is important here. Does this mean that every elder has to be a preacher? No. I believe that Titus nine is very helpful here. We have this to elders. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That is... This means that as a shepherd, as he shepherds the people of God as an elder, he should be able to instruct people with the word of God. That is that the Bible becomes his primary source. If the elder comes to your home, what does he do? He doesn't just talk about the weather and the food and what you've had, etc., etc. Well, those things may be very important, but he will talk about God's word. When we do a pastoral visit, to your homes we read the scriptures we read the bible we will pray with you we will discuss with you for example if you've got some problem say for example you say well um, how should i live my life as a christian what should i do well well, i'm having a problem in a relationship in my home in my marriage what do i do the elder should be saying "Well, well what does god's word tell you if you've got sexual temptation for example well what does god's word tell you about this let's look at god's word Let's, let's look at the Word of God. He should be able to teach this Word. In other words, friends, if you're looking for an elder, the elder must be a man of the Word. Do you think that's important? What about our lives? Is the Word of God important for you and me? I want to encourage us to be people of God's Word, but particularly to the elder doctrine matters to elders and then we see his reputation he must not be a recent convert the reason is very clear there he should not be a recent convert why because, because he will become conceited the Greek the, the word that is used there means he will be filled with smoke or we may say full of hot air hey I'm a new convert and I'm a leader of the church I'm an elder It's not about status. Never. It's about a servant heart. And moreover, look at what it says here as well. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. His reputation and testimony to the world outside the church should be credible. How is he known in the workplace? How are you known in the workplace as a Christian? How is he known in the sporting club? If you're playing tennis, any tennis players here? If you're playing cricket, I don't see many cricketers in our midst, but maybe I'm wrong, okay? Oh, what about in your neighborhood? How are we known? How are his non-Christian friends, work colleagues, how do they know him? Do they see him? Do they see us, for example, as genuine christian people who are people of integrity and truth in our lives this guy doesn't get into shady business deals he's concerned about the integrity of the gospel all right he's concerned about honoring christ in his life and that goes for all of us does it not what's our reputation how do people see you how do they see me do they see christ in us. So as we come to a conclusion, friends, God has set the standards for the eldership in his church because the church is precious to him. He cares for his people. And if we have wrong leaders in the church, the church suffers. I was a minister in a particular church, and this particular church was affected by uh, Freemasons. I took on the leadership in this church. You can imagine the challenge it was. And I just kept preaching the gospel. And kept preaching and kept preaching. And people gradually started to come to an understanding of Christ. Some of them in positions of leadership. So if you get the wrong people in, it's a dangerous place to be. And as you know, friends, with godly elders, God blessed Timothy and and Ephesus, went on powerfully for 55 years nearly. It was Ephesus became an epicenter for the gospel in Asia Minor with the solid leaders, the elders in that place. And then they got a new pastor named John. And what a lineup of pastors in this church at Ephesus. First they had Paul, then they had Timothy, and then they had John. Right? And Jesus gave this evaluation of the church through, uh, through John in the book of Revelation. Right into the church at Ephesus. He said this, you still test your leaders. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But you have this against you. You have left your first love. That is this church at Ephesus. There was no fire in this church. There was no compelling joy in this church. There was, it was only complacent. You see, what had happened to these churches, they had great leaders, then they went into a disarray, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, go and appoint new leaders, leaders are appointed, the church is revitalized, somewhere down the track, they lose traction, the leaders have lost the passion for Christ, bang, the church is going down. Lost the first love. So, eldership and leadership is important. Because God uses leaders in his church. Yeah? And so it is so important for us to get the right leaders for this church here at St. Stephen's. Very important matter, friends. Vitally important to have godly leaders, elders, the right men with the right heart, with the right attitude to serve the Lord. Men who know the shepherd, Jesus. Men who love the people. I remember an old elder. I was in the country congregation, a place called Nurat. Have you heard of that place, Nurat? I think only, ah, two people have. Oh, yes, good, very good, right? It's somewhere near Western Victoria. And this elder was an older man, presbytery of Kilnurat. And one day he said this. I still remember this, just like yesterday. He said to the ministers and to the elders, he said, please, brothers, remember this. That you are shepherds of God's people. We are not drovers. We are not drovers, but shepherds. We don't drive our people, but we care for them. What a wise statement. I still remember that. We are not drovers, but we are shepherds who care for God's people. So... Elders are to shepherd the flock. This would mean caring for them. Spiritually, holding fast the word of God. Elders are to be appointed for proper order in the church. Elders are to be an example to the church family. Elders, their work is a noble task. And so the Bible tells us this. Now, we may not always agree with our elders, right? Yes? I mean, would love you if you always agree with us, right? You may not. But Paul writes this, he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And the author to Hebrews echoes this theme in what is likely the most famous passage that deals with submission to pastoral leadership. He says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So we respect those in authority because that's what God expects of us. Finally, what is the motivation to serve Christ? What is the motivation to live for Jesus? Let me ask you that question. Please look in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 to 17. Turn over the page, please. you see it there. This is Paul, okay, and this is what he says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul is saying, my service, my following Christ is because I am the chief of sinners. I right? am the chief of sinners. Trustworthy saying that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. What a blessing. Do you think that about yourself today? Whatever sin that might be in our lives. And God knows the sins of our hearts, right? There are things that we may be so ashamed of. Things that may just bring us down. Things, you know, like Martin Lloyd-Jones right, has written in that book, Spiritual Depression. It's an excellent read. He says, he talks about that one sin that Satan uses constantly to point us and to bring us down, even when we have confessed and repented of it. And I want to say tonight, friends, remember this, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, and Christ died for me and what a motivation to serve this savior have you seen god's love for you have you experienced that in christ have you thought of the immensity of that love that it is so profound it is so personal it is so powerful it is so transforming it is so amazing that god would send his son take a sinner from one place convert him And make him a saint so that today you'll be known and you are known as saints. Have you thought about that? You're a saint. Scary thought, right? But that's what Christ has done. And this is Paul, the guy who persecuted Christians. He is saying, I'm the chief of sinners and Jesus died for me, for my sin." And all my sin is taken away. That's the motivation to live for Christ. That's the motivation to serve. That's the joy that comes from knowing this Savior Jesus. When I first heard that gospel, man, I'll tell you what, that was so liberating for me. That was just, I'm sure it must be for you as well. I've never sat at like churches and youth groups and all that kind of stuff, never been to a kid's church in my life, right? I was converted, came to know Christ. Amazing way. And that's the message. Christ Jesus came and died for us. And so it concludes beautifully. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible. That's God, right? immortal, invisible, the only God. No other. Be honor and glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious people here tonight. We are yours through faith in Christ alone. Thank you that you have loved us more than we can ever imagine. That you sent your Son Jesus Christ to die for us for our sin been nailed to the cross, that your love is so wonderful. I pray tonight that the love of Christ through the working of the Spirit will be impressed upon our hearts, Lord. Father, tonight we pray for wisdom in this matter of leadership and elders in this church, the men of your choice, will be nominated, and elected to office. Give us wisdom through this process in the next three weeks and guide this church to be a solid church focused on the word of God, led by the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and living as the light of Jesus, here on the corner of Canterbury and Warrigal Road, in Surrey Hills, for Jesus Christ. To him alone be all the glory. Amen.